0: Feel a little conflicted this morning. Uh, just, just conflicted on what actually to say. <laughs> we have, um, we're in the prodigal son. We've been going through Luke 15. We've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we're going to continue to talk about the kingdom of God for an extended period of time. I remind you of that every single week. Uh, one of the things I really wanted to do, though, is as we work through this Luke chapter 15 uh, passage, we get these three parables. And Jesus continually talks about the celebration that happens when the lost thing is found, and uh, we know in the back of our minds, we understand theologically, and we kind of put it all together that that Jesus is seeking to save the lost. And I was I'm feeling conflicted because I want to have this kind of as a church, we need to understand what it means when we say what it means to be saved. We need to understand what that is all about, and we talk about it in the Christian church, and like even. Like all churches, we just talk about salvation. We talk about being saved. And I, I think it's really, really important, as we're motivated to live in a kingdom reality, what, what we mean when we say, I'm saved. Now, <clears throat> for eons, I don't even know the exact measurement of an eon, but for a long period of time, We've wrestled about the process in which a person's been saved. We just wrestle about it, but which is stupid, but at the same time, we do it. And I think it's just because we're bored and we want to talk about something, so this is the thing that we talk about. But the idea within within Christendom is that Jesus came and rescued us. And what what's happening in Luke 15 is that over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus is pointing out that Lost things happen, and I'm going to go find them. And when we find them, it's going to be a party. And there's rejoicing. And there's this phrase that happens regularly about repentance. And so I'm feeling conflicted because we know these things. Uh, and I don't know how to like land it for you guys to go, here's what I'm thinking. But what I want us to do is live in, an, in a way to where we step out of this building, and we talk about Jesus, or we interact with people, or we have this Christian life our motivation is that of the shepherd with the lost sheep, that of the woman with the lost coin, that of the father with the lost son, that we are looking for the lost people so that we can introduce them to Jesus. And so the language that we use, I think sometimes we take for granted that I'm saved, or I'm born again, or I love Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I I don't have a way for us to simplify it other than those particular things. And, but the problem with that is it's like a tail. And we all have this kind of built-in kind of feeling of what it is supposed to mean when we say I'm saved. And it kind of just grows. And the problem with the tail is somebody could step on it at some point. Or grab it and swing it around. And I know even within our church family based on history, not my history, but history, that this has been a topic of conversation. How is one saved? So I'm conflicted on, do we even approach it, do we wrestle with it? But if we're going to live in a a world where people are lost, and we're the church, and we're trying to find them to introduce them to Jesus, we have to have an understanding of what we're saying Salvation is the hope that we have in Jesus. And the kingdom of God is filled with that hope. Let me say that again. Salvation is the hope that we have in Jesus. And the kingdom of God is filled with that hope. Open your Bibles with me. We're not going to be in Luke. We're going to be all over the place, but open them with me to Exodus. Each week, this uh, Bible that I have up here that's large print Bible that I had to get because my eyes are bad. I just took my glasses off, which is not intelligent either. I'm living in a weird way right now. This day has been awful. I'll tell you that right now. I am so conflicted. It has been such a rough morning. Oh, my goodness. Anyone? Thank you. Gotcha. You guys. I know, that's true. But it, like verbal, I just got verbal feedback. No, it has been a rough day. And it's because, like, it's rough. Like, life and little things like ink kind of ruined my morning. But here's the other thing I didn't even tell you. I printed the bulletin probably a hundred times this morning. I usually print the bulletin like on Thursday, but I waited today because I was having technical issues getting it to work. And I So I've gone through a hundred pieces of paper. Now for a church of you know, 85 to 100, that's a lot of paper, but I've gone through it because it kept printing wrong every time. It's the first Sunday that this happened, but this was after the ink exploded on me. And it was after I... Ruined my favorite shirt. And then it... I'm just going to reveal it. Under this shirt... I'm wearing a shirt for my, the church I came from. It's a bizarre morning. I didn't even have any idea. I put on this undershirt, and it doesn't have sleeves. And, I mean, it's just been rough, right? But then the whole time, the whole time I'm going... I, what am I going to talk about? Because I have this lesson here, or this message, right? I've got a message to share, and I have this this thing, and I want to build this kind of framework of who we are. But the whole time, I'm going, I don't like it. It's not right. In fact, it's just dumb to talk about it. And so then I've been, I've been, I've been conflicted. And then the ink and the paper and all this stuff happened. So anyway, Exodus 15. Did I tell you what chapter, by the way, or did I say Exodus? Exodus 15. (laughs) Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like a At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, sword. my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to the holy abode. The peoples have heard. They have trembled. Pains have seized the inhabitants. Now the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. There's this theme without Scripture that the sea is this bad place. The sea is this horrible location. The sea is where, I mean, you can make the equivalent sea as hell. The way in which we think about hell is the sea in Scripture. The writers continually reference it as the sea. And this song that the people of Israel are singing which we know is is a remembrance of what God did as he rescued them out of Egypt as he provided salvation as he as he plucked out his people and said you will be my people and I'm going to set you free and push you into this place and this this vivid this vivid experience this incredible experience of drowning the Egyptian army in the Red Sea is, is plastered on their mind so that they only can look at the Lord and say, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for the victory that you gave us over the sea, over death. See, salvation is experienced really for the, one of the first times in Scripture in the story of the Bible right here and talked about. This is a platform in which the rest of the narrative of the Bible harkens back to and what it looks like to be rescued, what it looks like to be saved. The word salvation means rescued. So when we talk about being saved, we're talking about being rescued. And then you have to answer the question, rescued from what? See, there's all kinds. Let me just read this to you. This is the way in which we present salvation, which I am in agreement with. These are out there all over the interwebs. If you look at this, you can find it. How do you find salvation in Jesus? Are you confused? Can you never seem to find a path or purpose? Does it seem like someone has turned out the lights and you cannot find the switch? Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. Do you ever feel like you've locked out of you're locked out of life? Have you tried so many doors only to find that what is behind them is empty and meaningless? Are you looking for an entrance into a fulfilling life? If so, Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus declared, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. That's John 10 9. Do other people always let you down? Have your relationships been shallow and empty? Does it seem like everyone is trying to take advantage of you? If so, Jesus is the way. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. That's John 10, 11 and 14. Do you wonder what happens after this life? Are you tired of living your life for things that not only rot or rust, but die? Do you sometimes doubt whether life has meaning? Do you want to live after you die? If so, Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. He believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's John 11. What is the way? What is the truth? What is the life? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. John 14, 6. Now, I read you all that because that's a typical way in which we talk about salvation. That's a typical way in which we express Jesus. All of that is true. Do you not agree? All of that is true, what I just said. It is 100% true. But But the struggle for me is that we don't have this vivid reality of being rescued because we don't look at the thing that we're being rescued from, which is the sin, which is death, which is separation, which is the sea. We have these beautiful things that we say and believe, and they're true. And I don't even, I'm not even pretending like they're not true. They're a hundred percent true. The words that Jesus said are right on the money, but what we do is we filter it through this 21st century comfortable life. Instead of attacking the sin that we're rescued from. And that's the struggle that I have when we want to create a framework of what it lives, what it looks like to live in kingdom reality. What it means to say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. This is not a gentle, peaceful, I'm the good shepherd and I know my children, which we do present all the time. This is a violent act of God entering the world and interrupting the destruction of the world to bring his people back to him. That's what salvation is. Salvation is being rescued from certain death and certain doom. So we do have this hunger. We have a spiritual hunger that can only be filled by Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can lift the darkness. Jesus is the door of the satisfying life. Jesus is the friend, the shepherd that we have been looking for. And Jesus is life in this world and the next. Jesus is the way of salvation. A hundred percent. But the violent act of sin in our life draws us into the sea over and over and over again. Draws us into the sea over and over and over. So what are we saved from? We're saved from our sin. We're saved from destruction. We're saved from death. When the Israelites saying, how glorious the Lord is, he parted the sea, he drowned the chariots. They had a personal experience of being rescued. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 14, 4. 4? Four, four. See, I think the thing that I get conflicted about when I stand up here is it's really easy to preach It's easy for me to talk. It's really easy for me to talk. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy being, I enjoy this space. This space feels good to me. You guys are trained to listen to it. I'm trained to do it. And I enjoy it. I enjoy verbal dumping on you every Sunday. Just, of words. But what I have a tough time with, just in my own personal space, is being Joyful in a way that presents Jesus as the joy of life. I I struggle with that. And I don't know if that's built in some sort of weird child thing that I had, but I I struggle with that. So when I present Jesus out here, I usually yell about it, and I talk about all the bad things in our life, and the sin in our life. And I preach from that perspective. And I I think both perspectives are brilliant, and like there's a blending. But the truth is, for me, that's the way I look on it. So when I prepared a positive message, I was conflicted. And then the Lord interrupted it with ink and paper and all kinds of chaos. And then I said, you know what? I have all these notes, and I'm going to stress up again. But I'm just going to go the way I want to go. That's problematic, I guess, when you can talk a lot. We're going to have babies delivered here, right? It's a violent act when you bring a baby into the world. You're going to have a baby next week, probably. I remember when Caleb was born. And it felt violent in my household. Because he interrupted my life. I had a great life. You guys are laughing and saying that I don't have a great life now. But I had, I've told this story, I think, to some other people. But when Caleb was born, it was, it was beautiful because this, this, this creature was our offspring, and that was fun. But also, it was, it was scary, and it hurt. Not just me, but it hurt my wife. <laughs> but it hurt me because all of a sudden, I was awake to the reality that I was responsible for him. I was awake to the reality that I couldn't go watch movies by myself on Monday because I had to take care of a kid. My day off was fantastic. I would go to the theater and watch a couple of movies and relax, maybe play a couple video games, maybe surf around on the Internet, potentially clean the kitchen, but not always. Like, when before a child, I had freedom. But now on Mondays, I had to watch this child. But what happened was, is I was awakened to it. I just immediately was like, oh no, everything about life is different now, because this child entered our world. This kid arrived, and I'm responsible. I have to care for him. I have to do all of these things to make his life be, maybe give his best tailwind as possible so he can succeed. But I was all of a sudden startling. I was startled by how much pressure It was going to be to take care of Caleb Daniel Faisal. So what did I do when he was born? I weeped. Not out of joy, but out of fear and anger and frustration. And and I lost my wife because now I knew I wasn't the most important man in the house. And it's, it's funny. But that awakened, crystallized picture when a kid comes into your life. When something alters your life, when I, when sickness enters your life, when you become increasingly aware, when you lose somebody, and you're aware, that is the kind of like thing that the Israelites are experiencing. They are acutely aware, they have woken up, they understand how ridiculous life is now that they are living, When they crossed the Red Sea and God drowned them, right? So that's the experience. In salvation, you are awakened to this different thing, to this different reality. Just like all of these high points in our life. All of these low points in our life. All of these hard points in our life. We should be awakened to what God is doing in us. And be acutely aware of His impact and touch and my reaction was selfish, but I was aware. My reaction was disappointing, but I was aware. My reaction was sad, but I was aware. See, there isn't always joy that's like happy, laughing joy in salvation. Sometimes there's pain. You guys remember the movie Inside Out? Who's seen Inside Out? If you're a kid and you've seen Inside Out, raise your hand, right? It's the one with the marbles. If you're an adult, you've seen Inside Out you cried during it. Yeah, that's true. It's the marbles with the emotions, right? And you find out by the end of the movie that joy, the character, and sadness—is that her name? Sadness. You need both sides in order to experience the fullness of emotion. So when I talk about salvation for us as a church, and I'm and I'm bringing that up and I'm saying, here's what being saved looked like. It's not just happy, happy, joy, joy. It's not just The celebration of everything. Sure, there's a celebration. It's there's a pressure to experience the hurt that we're going through in life and being grateful for what God's bringing us through in that. See, in this place, in our church, we're all going to experience these hurts, and can we, in faith and confidence, say, "The Lord is my salvation." The Lord is my salvation. When we're celebrating the birth of a child or the death of a mother, can we say, the Lord is my salvation? And I think that that's, as your pastor, that's what I want us to say regularly, regardless of our experience. The Lord is my salvation. Acts chapter 4. I know I'm all over the place. Remember, conflicted. Acts chapter 4. Starting with verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name Did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, when we talk about being saved, we talk about being saved as a church, we're dispensing hope, right? We're talking about hope. We're talking about giving people hope. We're talking about this big idea of salvation, which I think is really complicated, other than because all we do is we wait to die. And that's what I want to fight us against. Salvation isn't just waiting to die. Salvation isn't just the afterlife. Salvation isn't just, all right, I have Fire insurance, I'm saved from hell, I don't have to have eternal punishment. No, salvation is the life that we get to live in the now, waiting for the promise and the hope of the resurrection because Jesus conquered death. Death isn't even a part of our process anymore. Now, we're going to bury people, right? But that's not what we're talking about. Salvation brings us out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt, and into the what? The promised land, into life. We cross through this garbage that's the Red Sea. We work our way through it because Jesus provides a way. And we're in that side, which is what God promised rest and peace and connection and relationship with Him. The picture of the Exodus is the picture of salvation for us. The picture of being in bondage and in slavery and in pain and in death and in certain doom to be plucked out and separated and walked through a path so that you can live with Jesus forever. But we focus on the forever and forget the life so much. And agents of hope is what we are. In the kingdom of God, we dispense the hope over and over and over again. But I want to use some line Let me just. Like fly through some of this stuff real quick. Here are the promises of being saved. When when Peter was before the the council, he's they're like questioning him, they're asking him, they're saying, How who gives you the authority to do this? Why did this thing happen? How come you are doing this thing? And he said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus did it, right? Well, here are the promises because of Jesus. We are forgiven, our guilt is gone. We have peace with God. God's wrath is satisfied. We have been justified, meaning we've been put in alignment with Him. We are new creations, like 2 Corinthians says. We have eternal life, like John 3.16 says. We have been adopted by God. We are children of God, John 1.12 says. We have the right to become children of God. We have been given a position in the family. The Holy Spirit lives in us, like Romans 8 says. Jesus is our advocate Like 1 John 2 says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, which Romans 8 says. Death has no more sting, 1 Corinthians 15 says. And we have an inheritance, which Peter, which we read in Acts 4. Peter says there is an inheritance that you receive that's eternal. It will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fall away because you are now part of the family of God. See, what happens is in salvation, we think of the future salvation. We think about what is going to happen to us. We think about, we have we don't have to worry about this world any longer. But what really, if I want to, there's tenses to salvation. There's a past, right? First, we've been saved. We have been saved. We've been justified. We've been put into alignment with God. And then there's this current life that we're living in. This is the present. We are being saved. We're in the process of being sanctified. In our denomination, we say, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as sanctifier, Jesus as healer, and Jesus as coming king. But we're in this process right now of becoming more like Jesus, being transformed, being renewed. And then we have this future salvation that's going to come. When Christ returns, we'll be glorified. So how do you tell an eight-year-old that? So our human brains have complicated Jesus a lot. We've put doctrines and theologies and all kinds of rules on it. we put belief practices and comfortabilities within it. We've created entire belief systems to try to help satisfy our lack of understanding. And instead, we fall asleep at the wheel of the kingdom reality. Because we just kind of... In our denomination, we have some phrases that we like to use. And if you're writing notes down, I do have some blanks for you to fill in. Jesus is the universal Savior. Now, we might trip on that and go, wait, no, 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 Jesus is not, no, 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 no. Not universalism. Not everybody gets saved. No, Jesus came, died, conquered death for all. Jesus is the universal Savior. John 3.16, right? God so loved the world. He so loved the world. All who come, in, come to him with repentant hearts. All who come before Jesus and say, I have sinned, I put my faith and trust in your activity and who you are, and I believe in you because you say you're the Messiah, and I put all of my trust into that. You're saved! It is that simple. We've complicated it with humanity. We've complicated it with everything else. We've complicated it with chaos. And Satan works very hard, very hard in the church, to divide us so that we lose track of the prize that Jesus is is the scepter and is for all us to receive because we just have to come to him. So Jesus is the universal Savior. Jesus is the exclusive Savior. He's not one of multiple reasons to go to heaven or to be in relationship with God. Jesus is exclusive. There is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the story of Scripture. Jesus was talked about in Genesis and Jesus was talked about in Revelation. Jesus is the picture of what this... Never mind. Salvation is found in no one else. Jesus is the comprehensive Savior. Turn with me to Romans 8. So I forget... Verse uh, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willing, but, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. Yet to all believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, John 1, 12 tells us, and Paul is echoing this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, salvation isn't just waiting to die so that we get to be in heaven. Salvation is this inward torment that the Spirit of God puts in us as we await the hope that's to come, but we get to live in the reality of today and be awakened to what God is trying to do on earth. Why would you put that in your stomach and just sit on it? and not do anything with it. What salvation is to do is to sing the song like the Israelites, to begin to speak out loud about what God is doing. The salvation that you have is for you to communicate to others. There's a groaning, there's an inward like pain that we have waiting, waiting for the arrival of the King, for the arrival of the glory that's going to come, for the glorious appearing. For in this hope, we are saved. Now hope, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for or what we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's not change that verse to mean all things work according to the good to where I feel comfortable. That all things work for the according of good because of God's purposes, not my purposes. Now sometimes I am a beneficiary of those Good things, right? But then we can say salvation belongs to who? Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, the bad thing is is we take salvation and bring it and make it ours. And salvation is the Lord's to dispense. He's the one that does the saving. He's the one that took the Son out of heaven and put him on earth to die a horrible death for you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he gives it to you freely if you come to him with a repentant heart. So it's a comprehensive thing that happens. Jesus is comprehensive. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called, and to those He called, He justified, and to those whom He justified, He glorified. What then shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? Who? No one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, all, for all of us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he is the one who raised. Who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is what? Interceding for us all. Who Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate. Me, you, us, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we talk about salvation, we have to believe that Jesus is the all-powerful Savior. That there is nothing on this earth that can separate us from, from Him. Have you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you gone before the King and say, I am sorry for my sin? Have you approached the throne of God and said, I believe in your son Jesus whom you sent to earth to die for my sin, my transgression, my brokenness. Have you separated yourself from your wants so that you can surrender all that you have before him and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Salvation is the hope we have in Jesus. In the kingdom of God, it's still with this hope. So, how do we dispense it? See, that's where I was conflicted. How do we dispense this? We complicate it so much. And I know I just did too. I just like. How do we dispense this hope? How do we talk about Jesus in a way where people have to interact with him? How do we as a church, a church family, draw people into relationship with God? See, that's the thing as I look out and see you guys and know you guys and have learned you over three months. That's the thing I want you to be praying about, to be thinking about, to be asking the Lord, how do we do this? How? How in the world do we dispense this hope? How do we take all of this stuff that we know, put it in a nice, neat little package, and hand it to somebody? Because us people, we're messy, right? So it's not easy to grab a hold of. That's why I think little guys... And little girls easily receive Jesus. Because it's not filled with all the baggage. It's not filled with all the crazy. It's not filled with all the, the Wesleyan or Reformed or Charismatic or da-da-da or whatever, right? It's not filled with that. That's for us adults to talk about in offices. Because we simplify it. What's one of the first things that we teach little kids to do? Little kids, one of the first things. We teach you how to say What? how to say I'm sorry. It's one of the very first things that you teach your kids is how to apologize when you've done something wrong. Because kids are bad real fast, right? They learn how to be disobedient pretty quick, how to like want their own wants and do their own things. If we as a church family learn how to graciously say, I've screwed up, what would that look like? People would be drawn to that. Not for our benefit, but for the kingdom's benefit. If we could somehow have a conversation with someone, what would your marriage look like if you were able to apologize easier? Maybe some of you are really good at apologizing. What would it look like? What would your relationships with your extended family look like if you could go, I screwed up, I'm sorry. The simplest little thing, I'm sorry. Now here's the deal, spiritually, Jesus has rescued us through his work on the cross. And the I'm sorry is the key to walk through the door. Lord, forgive me, I've sinned against you. Now, I don't know how to edit that sermon into a concise thought, because that's just all over the place. That was like, that was the shotgun approach to all the chaotic thoughts I've had this week. So take one note from that for yourself, put it in your pocket and say, that's the thing I was supposed to do this week.